This is The Playbook. Walking to my mom's house bankrupt, I lost over $100 million. That was one of the greatest moments of my life. I was the perfect scapegoat for all of these people that also went bankrupt that were supposedly my friends. Because I love you, and I can tell this to you now, I used to think in my head, he speaks it, but he's not. Today on the show, we have a very special guest. He was the co-founder of Sports One Marketing, a global public speaker, an accomplished business coach, and host of the popular podcast, The Playbook. With over 30 years of experience as a successful business leader, he has been recognized as a top 100 business coach, a three-time international best-selling author, and was even honored as the Sports Humanitarian of the Year. His personal life mission is to empower over 1 billion people to be happy. But more importantly than all that, he's an incredible husband, an incredible father, and has even been a big brother to me for over 35 years. I couldn't be more excited to welcome my dear friend, David Meltzer, to the show. What's up, Dave? Hey, buddy. I will tell you, of all those things, when you identify me as a brother, it's so important because I, as you know, you know my brothers. Uh, I look at our relationship and I said, I wish I was as good as a brother to my own brothers as I was to you because I had a perfect combination of support and you know guidance, but you know just fun, all, all the things uh, that you know I really strive now to have in my relationship. I learned by being your big brother without actually being your big brother. I mean, you were the closest thing I had to a big brother, being that I didn't literally have one. I had a sister, and <laughs> I just looked up to you. I mean, I think. I was five years old, and we were just talking about this pre-show, but I was five years old wearing your jersey at Patrick Henry High School watching you play football. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I really feel old. But yeah, I, we just, <laughs> but you know what's cool about that is one of the things that I've always known about you and I, where I talk about our frequency being our neighborhood, and there's you know 10% of the people that you meet are on your frequency. You love them no matter what. And even at five years old, that's the way I felt about you. And even when you, you know, pissed me off being an intern or had lessons to learn and I got impatient as a leader, um, I just love you like my brother, just the same frequency, that energetic and genetic inheritance that really bonded us from the first time we saw each other. I mean, nature, nurture, but I honestly am not who I think a lot of who I am today was shaped watching you as your intern over the years. I mean, you really are my first real mentor. And in high school, I go through a, a sequence where I used to say I used to, I, I learned instead of earned and yeah. spent a lot of time working with you um, and trying. Learning from me. Learning you from didn't me. earn, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm the king of interns. <laughs> that's true. I think just a side note, I'm still waiting on that PC phone. Oh, right. I still have it, too, yes, right? yes. which was a great lesson I learned later in life about that, how yeah. people perceive things. That's so but, good. But I want to cover a lot of things today. Um, I'm so excited to have you on the show because I get to ask you actually questions that maybe I never have asked you. And we get to do it from a place of really trying to uncover what makes successful people successful. And you've demonstrated over the course of your career, success, failure, success again, and how the learnings along the way and that, that word failure really wasn't failure. It was, there might've been moments you felt like a failure. And I want to d dig into that, but how you overcame those things, how you really uncovered what makes David Meltzer successful again and again and again? Because you're not one thing. And a lot of times I interview or meet people that they're specialists at one thing. They've been a phenomenal blank. 
you've really spread your career across so many different sectors from focusing on sales early on, I, I believe selling legal, uh, legal. Yeah, you uh, almost did it with me, legal research online. Yeah. Legal research online. I was priming you to go to law school so you could come out and be a salesperson. That's right. And I was going to go work with you at Lee Steinberg Sports Agency. So, I mean, sports agent. Sales. Started your own company. Phone business. Phone business. <laughs> Interior door replacement company. Corporate connections. Real estate. Real estate. Uh, hotels. <laughs> golf courses. Books. Ski uh, Mountain. Ski Mountain. I mean, the <laughs> list is so long. So good. But I think that there's so much gold in, in the fact that... Because I say something on stages. I say experience is the most overrated pre prerequisite to start a company because what, what we do doesn't matter because there's an underlying business aspect. And I talk about it in restaurants. You know, nine out of 10 restaurants fail. Why? Because nine out of 10 restaurants are started by chefs and they don't realize that there's a business beneath it. And so what I love about you more than anything is you've demonstrated this and I have used you as a guidepost. So take me back to when you were a kid, when I was watching you play high school football. What did you see yourself doing? Being rich. And I didn't care how. And I think it's indicative of my journey if you connected the dots backwards, especially when I ran Lee Steinberg, the sports agency. So many people were like, how'd you do that? Like, how'd you get hired here? And if I connected the dots backwards of, you know, I graduated law school and got into the internet instead of being an oil and gas litigator, all the way through middleware and raising millions of dollars in Sand Hill Road to running Samsung's phone division with the PCE phone, which I still owe you one. Uh, and then being an entrepreneur in construction and real estate, leading me to Lee Steinberg, people are like, how'd that happen? Well, I'll tell you why it happened, because of my relationship with money. As you know, I had a, a very poor upbringing. My parents weren't doctors. My mom was just a teacher at the same school your mom was. <laughs> so, you know, your mom could afford to make the $17,000 a year. My mom really couldn't with, you know, six kids that we had total. And so I wanted to be rich. And so I always kept my options open but I knew the one thing I wanted to do, whether it was going to be as a professional football player or a real estate syndicator or a movie star or <laughs> just a salesperson, because I knew I was good at that, I was going to be rich no matter what. And I was going to buy my mom the biggest house and the nicest card I could. I could. So fun fact, how many houses have you bought her? You know what? I've, <laughs> I've now I bought five houses total for my mom. And uh, unfortunately, she doesn't even need a house anymore, <laughs> which is funny. But I, I will tell you, the low point was, you know, the lessons learned when you talk about the meaning of my past. Mm -hmm. I talk about walking to my mom's house bankrupt. I lost over $100 million. And just telling her I was bankrupt was torture. But telling her I didn't take my name off of the title of her home. So she had to move. Was and you, you knew her when she had to move. And that was probably the nicest house I had bought her. It was worth almost a million dollars. Um, she had to move. Uh, that was one of the greatest moments of my life because I realized how lost I was. And uh, when my mom told me, hey, are you okay? Do you need money? I thought she didn't hear me. Right. But I had never been more full of shame in my life than, than that walk over to my mom's house to tell her that I lost her house. So I... I want to dig into that because I was going to come to that later, but since we're here, um, that moment, and I know, and I, I was very close with you at that time. Yeah. Um, not only having to tell your mom that, take me to the moment that you knew you were going to have to file bankruptcy and lose it all. First, you had to tell your wife. Yeah. And you had to tell your kids. And I know how painful as a dad and a husband that possibly was. 
Was that, what, what went through your mind that day when you had to first tell Julie, we're going to have to sell the house, we're going to move, before we even got to your mom? Yeah, well, I, I think it was admitting to my wife two years earlier that I'd screwed everything up. And she made me admit it because she threatened to leave me because although I was worth over $100 million two years previous in 2006, um, she saw the writing on the wall. So out of anyone, mm -hmm. because she's closest to me, she was not surprised when I went bankrupt or had to go bankrupt because she knew that I was on a road of redemption. And uh, one of the funniest things about that whole process is two years before I went bankrupt was the low point in my marriage. It was my basement. And my wife told me that I better take stock in who I was and what I wanted to become. In fact, one of the things she said to me that rocked my world was, what would your mom think if she knew what you actually were doing? Not what she thinks you're doing. Yeah. What if she knew what I know about you? What would your, and I, I still get choked up because you know mm -hmm. how much I love my mom. Yep. And I, and I don't want to embarrass her. I don't want to, to do things that she's not proud of, especially with the sibling rivalry I have with my hyper competitive and exceptional siblings from Harvard, Penn, and Columbia. But I sat there and that rocked me the next morning because I was just going to get divorced. Mm -hmm. But it was leading up to it. The interesting thing was when I lost everything and we had 33 homes in San Diego, businesses, I was running Lee Steinberg. So it wasn't just that I was a multimillionaire. I had access to what billionaires couldn't even afford to do. Um, the scary thing for her was how confident I was with the bankruptcy. Like moving to a rented house with rented furniture and one car, I was confident that the money wasn't gonna be a problem to make back. And in fact, I walked in, you remember my big home in Rancho Santa Fe. I walked in, she didn't know I was home. She was with her uncle who knew me since I was 10 and she was crying. She's like, I don't know if he can do this. If he's gonna pull us out of it, what should I do? And her uncle said, Oh my goodness, Julie, I've seen this kid do so many exceptional things since he was 10. I can't wait to see what he does with his back against the wall. I mean, that's was that that when you heard that, did it take you to a place of confidence or did it make you feel worse knowing that your wife had to have this conversation? Both. I cried. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I still get choked up because I was shameful. Sure. Because I was accountable for this. I know I got into law school uh, suits, people as for you, people lied to me, cheated mm -hmm. me, manipulated, you know, all types of things. But I was accountable. I didn't learn to trust and vet people the right way. I'm accountable. But it also, as shameful as I was and, and you know, sad that, you know, she was sad. Man, you, you know me. You saw the 147-pound kid play football against guys way bigger and better than me. There was nothing that fired me up more. Yeah. Then thinking, man, just if I can look up, I can get up and I'm going to show everyone that her uncle knows me best. Not all the people who laughed at me, scoffed at me, made fun of me. Even worse, Jeff, you were, you were part of that situation knowing me. The worst thing that happened in that time in 2008 was everybody wanted to invest in me. I was like Midas. That's why you looked up to me. Everything I touched, mm -hmm. right? I had all types of businesses, everything I touched, stocks made money. I, you don't get that much money unless you're successful. But the funny thing was people would beg me to invest in things like corporate connections or beg me to invest in my door business, beg, beg me. And they would put like 10 grand in, right? But when they lost everything because of other reasons than the $10,000 they invested in me, 
I was the perfect scapegoat for all of these people that also went bankrupt that were supposedly my friends. So the bunch of shit talkers out there mm -hmm. that laughed at me, scoffed at me, and made fun of me for not being successful to not be able to do it, then applauded me for doing it, then came back and blamed me for their failures. That was the hardest dose to take. So how did you do it? Well, my values, gratitude. Yep. I looked for the light, the love, and the lessons in everything and everyone. Did you have that clearly quantified then, though? Because no. back then I remember be above the line. Blame, shame, justification. Right. In my head. Account. I mean, I've heard you say it to me a billion <laughs> times. Yeah. And there were times, honestly, because I love you, and I can tell this to you now, I used to think in my head, he speaks it, but he's not living it. Right. But something changed. Yeah. Was that... Because you said the gratitude. So was that, how, well, when did that quantify? Right. So understanding that things, th there's three characteristics of behavior, but they're the same three characteristics of energy. And money's an energy as well. It's everything aggregates on itself. You attract more and more of it. So when you do things a certain way, say things a certain way, think things a certain way, believe them a certain way and feel them, they're aggregating at five different levels of intention. So the first step was to talk it. Yep. Right, And then you've known me long enough and we're close enough to me and saying, yeah, he's talking this stuff, but I'm watching what he's doing. He's surrounding himself with the wrong people, the wrong ideas. He's below the line himself, which you know also diminished my capacity to teach you and to have credibility when you say one thing but do another. Mm -hmm. But what happened was through the aggregation came compounding effect. So not only was I attracting more and more gracious, forgiving, and accountable, inspired people into my life and circumstances, options, opportunities, and touches of favor, but it was compounding. One turned to two, two to four, not one to two, two to three, three to four. Yep. And then what happens, the third characteristic of energy, aggregation compounding is acceleration. So things started happening faster, which got over the biggest deterrent or obstacle that human beings have is they're not capable of seeing progress so they quit good behavior and they constantly have bad behavior because they don't expect the aggregation compounding and acceleration. So the third component of acceleration speeds up the outcome, the results, so that you get more confidence that you're doing the right thing. You get reinforcement that, oh shit, gratitude works. Where most people aren't consistent, persistent in the pursuit of their perspective, their gratitude, their forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration. So it was all an accumulation and aggregation, compounding, and acceleration that was occurring, but it had to start somewhere. It's mm -hmm. it's like quitting smoking. You got to right. quit now. <laughs> right. Like you could say, <laughs> I'm going to sweat. And then, you know, if you cut back, if you smoke 30 cigarettes a day and the next day you, you uh, smoke 29, and you can cut one cigarette a day in a month, you're going to be done. But during that month, people are going to think you're a hypocrite because you're like, I'm trying to quit smoking. But why are you still smoking? And what you just articulated is my fourth core value of Kaizen. I use it as well. Get 1% better every day. Yeah. Set micro goals, win stack, stack wins, do something you can do today. It's what I give the analogy on stage a lot when I'm explaining it through working out, which is like people want to get in shape. You know, I'm in the health food sector. Hey, and, I, and I'm in shape. How do you do it? You know, I'm, I'm overweight. I'm out of shape. And I say, put on your gym clothes and watch Netflix today. Can you do that? Yeah. Put on your gym clothes tomorrow and walk or run to one mailbox. Can you do that? And to your point, and I think one of the lessons that took me forever to learn, um, patience is not one of my skills. Mine either. I want it yesterday. And if I don't have it by yesterday at 2 a.m., 2.05, I'm like stressed. But you taught me to remove the time element. And the day I did that, 
I went from making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to millions of dollars a year. And I can honestly say to you that it was that one, you know, you never know what thing resonates. Yeah. Because when you Kaizen with a time period, you quit. Right. Oh, I got to do something else. And I had that. I had that sporadic mind. But once I realized I'm going to make it, and whether I get in shape tomorrow or I get in shape a year from today, it'll happen as long as I follow the recipe, this, the formula. All of a sudden, to your point, energy compounded, the results compounded, and I allowed it to, to grow. I allowed that seed that sprouted roots first to break the earth because I wasn't so impatient. But going back again, so it's 2008. I do want to interrupt you. We'll go back to 2008. I will tell you one of the things that sticks in my mind is I remember when I had made back everything yeah. and I was doing extremely well and you were having some struggles and you were just starting to do well again. And you said, Dave, I, I need, I'm making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but Dave, can you teach me to make millions? I remember it was in your office in, in Orange County. In Orange County on research. That's right. And I said, yeah. And I gave you that lesson. In fact, that's the lesson that I taught Bob Proctor, my mentor, because he was someone that created a lot of resistance in people's lives by saying, you need to know exactly the amount of time, quantify the amount, right? I need to make a million dollars by March 31st. <laughs> You're screwed. I used to tell Bob, why would you do that to people? Right, change the way that you do it into. I'm going to do everything, say everything, think everything, believe everything, feel everything in the trajectory of doubling the amount of money I make as fast as I can. Right. No resistance. The hardest part about that, though, when you gave me that advice, and I'm sitting there, and I remember you saying, "Just remove the time element, Jeff. You'll make millions. Just stop making it about this year." Because I said to you, Dave, I've made six figures for the last couple of years. I need to make seven this year. Yeah. And you said, "Remove the time frame." Yeah. It's not going. Maybe it happens this year. Maybe it doesn't. But remove that. And I'm thinking in my head, that's not the advice I want. I want it this year. <laughs> right. Stop it. Feed me right. the advice Bob I want, Proctor please. Bob was going to give you the advice you wanted, That's right? what I want to hear. Think about a million dollars. Put it on your refrigerator. Yes. Look at it every day, December 31st. Well, it's, it's just because... And every day you run out of time. And, you, and to your point, it's like I'm making decisions with sand falling through and realizing that the time is about to run out. Yeah. And I need to... I change from building foundations to just building rickety ladders that's gonna, I think is gonna get me there faster. So I went, I drove home and I, I remember thinking, I didn't get what I came for and I was frustrated. <laughs> not Probably, again. Not again, I'm like, oh <laughs> shit, okay. So what am I gonna do? And then I came to the realization, either I'm gonna take the advice from someone who has done it, who I trust and has proven that it works, or I'm gonna keep doing what I've been doing. And you know what I'm gonna get if I keep doing what I've been doing? Same what thing. I've been getting. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Looking for great insights? Entrepreneur.com's podcast network is the place for you. Check out podcasts like Problem Solvers and Smart Passive Income for smart advice. Hear true stories on how success happens, financial updates on dirty money, deep dives with Behind the Review, and food trends on restaurant influencers. And don't miss my new show. It's all at entrepreneur.com forward slash listen. Let's start our success journey today. As an entrepreneur, I know how meaningful it is to invest in the people and causes that are close to me. And on GoFundMe, it's easy, safe, and powerful to do just that. Whether you're supporting a family member, friend, local business, or charity. And whenever you make a donation, you're protected by the GoFundMe giving guarantee. Visit GoFundMe.com today to help make a positive difference in your community. So it took a while. Obviously, maturity helps. Um, but I do still want to go back. So you you listen to your uncle. 
say that to your to your wife. Julie's uncle, right? Julie's Even uncle, better, right? Yeah. Yeah. Julie's uncle. You're in the house. You're crying. Yeah. But you still have to tell her. Yeah. You still have to say, Julie. Yeah. Your worst fears and what you anticipated is happening. Yeah. And the reason I want to talk about this, and I know it's emotional, and I know it is because these are the moments that derail most people. Most mm. people have the I almost made it, but this happened. And to your point, it's very easy to point the finger. I mean, 2008, let's set the stage, was the Great Recession. I yeah. mean, regardless of a Midas touch, things went to shit. Yeah. Money dried up. People got into serious, you know, over, over leveraged, overexposure, blame, shame, justification, pointing figure, fingers, survival mode. Yeah. And it ruined a lot of relationships. And one of the main lessons I've ever learned from you, and I learned early on, and it's make friends is my number one core value. It's my number one business principle to basically build relationship capital and know and have more champions of you and for you by leading with value. I use that same one. Yeah. Um, here you are in 2008, you're burning a lot of that relationship capital yeah. with a lot of people. Yeah. You're probably blaming a lot of people. Yep. You've yet to point the finger at yourself, but you have to have that conversation. Yeah. I want you to tell me about it. Well, first of all, that was the day that I didn't want to get out of bed. Right? I literally, and, and I, I believe there's no coincidences. What you pay attention to and what you give those five levels of intention to equal the coincidences in my life. And I've heard you use those on stage, and it makes me proud. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, when people now use quotes of mine or be kind to your future self, do good deeds, be more interested than interesting, you know, my mission in life is to empower others, to empower others to be happy. Like my initial ego is like, that little mother, he's <laughs> saying my stuff. And then I'm like, wait, I'm so proud of him. Like he's teaching. But that coincidence, um, I lied in bed and Rocky came on. And I think if I remember correctly, you're a big Rocky fan like me. Favorite movie. And not only the movie was inspiring, but you taught me the movie behind the movie was inspiring to me. The dog story. Yes. It's like Rudy. The, the making of Rudy is better than Rudy. The making of Rocky is better than Rocky. It brings tears to everybody's eyes. It, it's amazing. And the Creed side, I still love it. I'm waiting for the new Creed mm -hmm. to come out. And now Miles, my son, loves it. But anyway, I'm lying there and no coincidence, no consequence or no karma. I'm lying in bed crying because I have to tell Julie this morning that this is it. We're moving. And uh, <laughs> I didn't want to get up. And I remember just looking, the TV came on, and it's Rocky One. It's the end. And I'm sitting there going, he's just taking a beating. And I remember thinking in bed, man, the hits just keep coming is what I was telling myself. It was lawsuits and blame and, right? And, and I'm trying to teach myself to be accountable and say, what did I do? And it took me nine years to, from 2008, nine years to come to resolve of what mm -hmm. I've learned yeah. and truly be accountable and forgiving, like, and go up to the guy that I used to blame for me losing everything and the bank that, you know, cut my $40 million line of credit without telling me, right? Just stupid shit. Mm -hmm. But I sat there and I remember saying he got knocked down at the very end and they're like, you know, stay down, Rocky. Remember? Yeah. yeah. And Mickey screaming, stay yeah, down. Right? He looks up and I remember telling myself, if I can look up, I can get up. And Rocky's like, <laughs> right, and same and with Apollo. Both falling down. Right, remember, and yeah, they're both he's just down. looking up, and he he just and he gets up, right, and and he didn't win, by the way. Correct. A lot of people may not remember that he didn't win, but he got up, and he he demoralized his vic his opponent Creed yeah. because he kept getting up. Yeah, 
Yeah. And so I got up and I took accountability was the approach that I said. Yeah. I told my wife, because she wasn't taking accountability. She was so in love with me and protected of me. It was everyone else's fault. And so I told her, hey, we're going to start over. Mm-hmm. We're going to start over. And I still have one of the greatest jobs in the world. I still have amazing people around me that I was kind to, right? I was saying, be kind to your future self, do yeah. good deeds. And those people that aren't my friends anymore, those people that blame me were never my friends. And I changed the way I looked at who I surrounded. Now, uh, you know, two years earlier, she made me fire three people from my life. We were already on a journey, yeah. but she told me, in fact, my favorite story about my wife is I brought my first paycheck home. We were living, moved to Orange County, closer to Lee Steinberg. I got my first paycheck from Lee and I brought it home. And we were rented house, rented furniture, one car. And I had lots of cars before that. <laughs> anyway, I said, hey, can we get, my wife and I went to Patrick Henry High School here in San Diego, same high school. I said, can I give part of this money to a scholarship for a kid that can't afford to go to college. Me and my siblings never would have went to college but for scholarships. That, that's just in your trip. first paycheck. My first paycheck. I said, can I give some of this? I'm in a rented house. And my wife looks at me and, and cries. I said, why are you crying? It'll be fine. I'm going to make a lot more than this. Yeah. I, I know what I'm doing. I haven't forgotten how I'm... I never had a problem making money. Right. Keeping it maybe was an issue. <laughs> I, from the time I got out of law school, Jeff, you know. Yes. I, before I got out of law school, I was like, you, bro, like... I mean, I can't even tell the stories of Jeff when he was 17 and like they thought he was ditching school, but he was making more money than the <laughs> teachers, right? We we have that in common. Yes. So I'm like, dude, I was like, don't cry. I'm going to make plenty. She said, no, you finally get it. I said, what do you mean? She goes, you finally trust the universe and you get it. And I said, wow. Yeah, I I'm putting trust in the universe mm-hmm. that this is going to work out. That time thing, everything. Yeah. And, and she said, yeah. I said, yeah, I do get it. And she said, then double it. And I literally said this, one of my favorite lines of my life. I looked at her and I said, don't trust the universe that much. <laughs> <laughs> so I started a scholarship for uh, student athletes at Patrick Henry High School that day, my very first paycheck. And we've had you know multiple Millions given to Junior Achievement, Unstoppable, and Patrick Henry, Occidental, Tulane, the Leadership Award, uh, all stemming from me trusting the fact that I live in a world of more than enough. I mean, you've you've embodied that even before 2008. I don't know if you remember this, but when I quit ADP after law school to start my own company because they didn't give me my 17 grand, sold my house, moved <laughs> my fiance and daughter into my parents' house, I didn't have a car for Brittany, yeah. who became my wife. And without hesitation, you said, take the Lexus. And you let her drive your Lexus. You're, you, you had a bunch of cars, but you, you without a doubt, with not even hesitation, just gave us a car so she could drive. And that was probably 2006? Six. Yeah, and I will tell you, when 2008 hit and we lost everything, one of the most inspiring things, because I forgot about that completely, just like I forgot about giving you the PC it's phone. Okay. It was unintentional. Um, but I forgot about that as well. And your wife, um, it was so inspiring to me because when we were on the right path again, she, when we went out, broke down in tears and was like, thank you so much. You, and I'm like, what for? Well, you gave me the Lexus and that just meant everything to me. 
and I, I didn't remember it, but I was like, it was a reminder, remembrance, a recollection of what's important in life. And, you know, obviously we love her and love your family, but I have thousands of stories that I get reminded of because, you know, my intention, even though I didn't always execute on the intention, sure. and neither have good. you, right? We both have this in common. The one thing I love most about you and also gives me confidence in myself is the majority of the time, my intentions are always to help other people, not myself. Yeah, and it doesn't always work. Right. And sometimes we, we appear to be yeah, we appear to be jerks. <laughs> yeah. Um, because what I struggle with, well, let me just finish the Brittany yeah, story because I think it's important that you know this. When she said, okay, when I went to her and I said, I have to quit this job and I was making six figures and I had just bought a house and we were set to be married and we had a daughter and I said, I want to quit. I want to sell the house. I want to move in with my parents and I'm not going to make money for a while. When she said, okay, and supported me on that, that meant that she realized the risk we were taking. And when she didn't have a car to get to her job and we were had one car between us, the fact that you enabled her to do that, enabled her to make money so we could take care of our daughter. I mean, for her, like in that moment, you were enshrined. Yeah. I mean, she she never understood like my infatuation with you because not anything wrong with you. She just yeah. didn't know you well enough well, yet. I was extremely good looking. She extremely good looking, yeah. super tall, <laughs> dunked on me. Um, but that moment, it just changed her view to you, towards you and realized that because she grew up poor. You know, she she didn't grow up with with a lot of means. She didn't grow up with a lot of handouts or people there to help. She didn't have big relationship capital. She couldn't understand the value. And that moment, she finally got it. And that was like a big moment. So that's why she broke down many years later because without that, she couldn't get to work. Yeah. And there was no Uber back then. No. You know, we didn't have the, the free-flowing... Uh, or electric bikes even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But now going back to something you had just said, you know, which is... And I struggle with this too, where I get frustrated, especially with the people I love the most. And I only work with friends. I hire friends. I mean, if you work with me, we become family. Become family, right? And even if they weren't friends before, correct. we become family. But the ones who are friends, I always will love to work with. Yeah. And I get asked a lot, you know, doesn't it ruin relationships? And truth, truthfully, I have lost one of my best friends as a result of him working with me. But it's because I can't tolerate watching them be the worst version of themselves. Ugh. I can't. And I have to make a choice to either be idle and just be the encouraging fake friend who says, you know what, it's okay if you're just going to run off a cliff. Or I have to be the guy that says, you're running off a damn cliff. And if it means we can't be friends, but it saves you from running off the cliff because I love you, I'm going to do it. And to your point about intention, you've had to deal with that probably exponentially more than I have being mm -hmm. how much further along in your career you are. How do you... Do you still operate with that same mindset? Like, are you prepared to say, you know what, even if it ruins our relationship, I'm going to do what's best, what I believe is best for you? Yeah. Or have you changed that? I've gotten better at it, but I haven't changed my attitude towards it. Right? I love being and helping my friends and family mm -hmm. uh, and utilizing my business to help my friends and family. Uh, and, you know, with PCE Phone, I hired two of my heroes, not friends, right? Older guys, one went to Stanford, right? One was an incredible baseball player. I looked up to both of them. Both were not capable of doing the job, right? I put them in positions, but I was just too young as the CEO to know what I was doing. But still to this day, right? PC phone was 1999, so that's 24 years ago. They still blame me because of their inadequacies. 
they, right? They blame me. 24 years ago, I ran into one of them, right? And his wife, who was on homecoming court with me, he's like, I, I, you know, I, I, I love you anyway. And I'm like, love me anyway for what? Like what happened 24 <laughs> years ago when I gave your husband, who wasn't your husband at the time, a vice president job from, he was a Seagram's sales rep, and I gave him a vice president <laughs> job of Samsung's phone division, their very first smartphone, and you forgive me? Like, I'm sitting there going, this is the shit that I have to deal with. So what have I been able to do? I've been able to create a better system to allow people to either take positions that are better aligned with their skills, their knowledge, and their desire so that I'm meeting them where they're at instead of projecting my expectations of their capability, of their potential onto them, which is a really dangerous thing, which I've seen you do as well as I've done, to expect too much out of people because we think too highly of them. And so one is meeting them where they're at, and then two, having a plan B and C if they're not capable. So if someone I promote to a president and I might say, hey, look, you're a great executive assistant. If you're not capable of doing this, I don't want to lose you. I'm more than happy to pay you to, to do this or help you find somewhere better and take my time to do that. And that's really reduced the amount of people that hate me. Now, one of the funner ones is you because you just kept coming back for more. And I, I'm Rocky. Yeah, man. But I, I, I knew your potential. Like if somebody would have said to me, who do you know at 19 years old that you can guarantee will be a multimillionaire before they're 50? I just said Jeff Fenster. Dan Fleischman, D D Jeff Fenster. With, and, and I still would say that, right? You could lose everything today. I would still say Dan Fleischman, Jeff Fenster before they're 50. You could lose everything. You're not going to because you've learned and paid my, I paid the dummy tax so you ain't gonna make the same stupid mistakes I did. <laughs> but think about that. Why? And that's why I was able to push you. Because I knew if I was wrong, you wouldn't come back. Mm -hmm. That you wouldn't tell people that I was a great mentor. That you wouldn't come back and say, hey, you know, you probably didn't handle this the best way, but thank you because I learned a shitload. And I know you were young too. <laughs> and so we have this great book that we're writing. We'll, we will publish it. It's called Mentee Mentor. And I think it's one of the greatest books out there because you and I are so um, illuminating and, and honest and comfortable with each other, that we go at it going, well, this is what I was thinking. Yep. Like the PCE phone. Like you were bitter for years because I didn't give you a phone and you didn't realize, well, Dave was CEO and just forgot to it give didn't, it to you. It didn't, and I was too insecure to, to call you. To ask me. To right? ask you for I just didn't ask, but I was like, I'm 16 years old. It's the third company I've worked for you. <laughs> this 16, is the one. By that, 16, which is a compliment anyway. Yes. And you said, I'm going to pay you to work this summer. You're going to get one of the world's first smartphones. <laughs> right. Like, Sweet. So I work my ass off. I'm like, where's my phone? And I forgot. Where's my phone? And I'd see and you're you. you're family. Like, you're literally family. And yet I get it. Now I have to put myself, because my brand grew so much, mm -hmm. so many times, and you're going to have to deal with this because your brand is on the same trajectory. You just started earlier, so it's going to be even bigger because you get some extra doubles <laughs> uh, in the process. It's going to be, trust me. But the thing you're going to have to deal with, which I kind of laughed at Ed Milet at when I met him, he's like, dude, people show up at my house. And like I didn't understand brand and how personal brand grows. And I was like, dude, he is so egotistic. Like, no, nobody's showing up to your house. Now people show up to my house, right? They're like, can I have your autograph? I take a picture. But your own employees, they get scared of you because it, 
And I'm lucky I work for Lee Steinberg because I remember being CEO of his company and afraid of him. <laughs> like, I don't want to ask. You ask him, <laughs> right? And now I'm that guy that my own employees are like, oh, you know, can you ask him? And, you, and I catch him sometimes. So just a, another lesson that you don't have mm-hmm. to go through. <laughs> no, I mean, that's an important one. And you said something about you project your expectation. You used to project your I expectation. I still do sometimes, yep. right? And we do with our children, which is worse. And I'm really guilty of this. And I don't think I'm, I don't think I have this too, I'm not too unique in this perspective. I think a lot of people share it, but maybe I'm just too difficult as a human. And I sometimes say I'm not the easiest to work with, but I promise you I'll make it worth it because I will go to bat and and do what I have to do to make us all successful the best I can and play my position. But I do expect, I think when I look at my team members and people I work with, partners, employees, vendors, et cetera. I expect everyone to always just bring their best. And it kills me mm. when they don't. And they don't have that same thirst for general improvement, et cetera. And that's made me sometimes be hard to work with or lose friendships over it. Because when you hire a friend, they think it's friend Jeff. And when we put on our business pants, Ugh. it's business Jeff. And I expect business David. Right. We can it, hang out and watch the football game. But when we're working, I expect you to bring your best. I'll bring my best. And it just works. Still. Still, still, right? I'm going to do some business with you next month, next year. I know that, right? I, I love doing business with you. This business, right, some of the things that you have are because I literally said, you should go with this guy or yes. this guy and and let it go because I care so much. But here's where one of the lessons inherent in what you're saying. My biggest fault is I want more for most people than they want for themselves. Isn't that weird? Right? I want more for them. And, and I see it, right? It was like the, the two guys that work for me at PCE phone. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted more for them than they wanted for themselves. And then they blame me when they can't live up to what I want for them. Correct. It's your fault. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because and, maybe they thought you were just going to hand it to them. Or one of the other things, and, and, and we have a, a common person in our lives, that you put them in a position that isn't right because yes. you love them so much. Yes. Right? And I've done that too. Like one of those guys that we're talking about at PC phone – like, I wanted it so bad, but he wasn't qualified. It wasn't the right time for him. And the, like, I didn't have a sale. He would have been a great sales guy. Yep. Right. But I put him as a vice president and he had no, right. And so the timing wise too, sometimes when you get older, you're much better at managing someone and saying, look, start here. Cause I know this is what it is. And maybe even overpay him a little bit to motivate him. I took the ultimate step, Jeff. And I got to tell you, because it applies to what we're teaching. And I was most afraid. And it's turned into one of the most successful things I've done. My daughter, uh, I helped her get an interview with Alex Machinsky, who's the CEO of Celsius. Celsius. They went under. I lost a bunch of money. In she Celsius. got a ton of job offers right from there uh, in digital marketing. And Justin, my head of media, is like, you need to hire your daughter. And, I, and I'm impressed, right? I'm like, well, what do you mean I need to hire my daughter? Dave, there's no one better out there, trust me, that gets you and gets the brand and gets digital marketing. She's worked for Hintwater. She's worked for Celsius. <laughs> like, literally, Dave. Like, forget that she's your daughter. She's the best. Yeah. And I was like, I can't because of the, the history that you and I have shared with <laughs> these people. Yep. I, can't, I can't afford to have my daughter blame me for her career. And so I spent days and weeks formulating a plan before I even mentioned it to her of how 
I could have her work with the company, but take out all the things I'd learned from the past mm -hmm. so that business Dave was never in contact with my daughter. She can witness business Dave when he's talking to Justin yep. or Alex <laughs> or Serafina. Business Dave, all you can witness, but she's already witnessed me. She's watched mm -hmm. me for 23 mm -hmm. years be business Dave. Right. right. But it'll never be to her. Never be to her. And it took me literally weeks to formulate how that was going to work. But here's the nice part that I didn't anticipate that I train heavily Monday, Wednesday, Friday, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, no matter where in the world I am, I'm training my team Yep. values, daily practices and execution model. And now that's the only business Dave that she sees because she has to be at the trainings. Hey, fitness fans, ready to crush your fitness goals? Make your move to EOS Fitness, where becoming a member starts at just $9.99 a month. Gyms are open 24-7 and packed with the latest gym equipment to keep your workouts fresh. What are you waiting for? Give them a call, drop by, or hit up jefffenster.com forward slash EOS to join. EOS Fitness, better gym, better price. Now, let's get after those goals. Hey there, it's your host, Jeff Fenster, and I have something very exciting to share with you today. You know, here on The Jeff Fenster Show, we're all about growth, both personally and professionally. Speaking of growth, have you ever heard of Everbull? As the proud founder of Everbull, I can tell you firsthand that we're on a mission to help everyone unevolve, to live actively and eat stuff that's been around forever. Imagine stepping back into a world where everything you eat is fresh, nourishing, and packed with nutrients. At Everbowl, we've got you covered with our wide range of superfood bowls. But it's not just about the food. It's about a community of like-minded individuals who are determined to embrace a vibrant, fulfilling lifestyle. Join us on this journey as we redefine what it means to be healthy and active. So if you're ready to unevolve and be the best version of yourself, head over to everbowl.com and check out our menu. I love those trainings. You've been doing that forever. Over 23 years. And yeah, that's actually how we were writing our book. Right. I used to come up when <laughs> that's you had how I your wrote my other book. Yeah. We had trainings. And we're going to get that book. I'm putting it's it pretty here. close to being done. I mean, I think we've done like nine of the 10 chapters. Nine of the 10 chapters. We yeah. have one more to but go. It, it, everything happens at the right place at the perfect time, right? Mm -hmm. I don't put time on there, although time is the dependent variable in my life of all matter. And that's in a general shift in my paradigm of. When you really understand that you're literally protected and promoted by an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing source that loves you more than your mom, and you shift your paradigm instead of trying to get things, get more to the time, why is time still the dependent variable? Because I only use time to measure how much time am I not in the trajectory of where I want to be. So I can put a quantitative measure to guilt. If okay. I felt guilty for two hours today, then I put an objective to feel guilty for an hour and 59 minutes tomorrow. <laughs> it's just like the, the, the clothes, yeah. right? Ties in. It's, it is the exact same thing. But you can only, every matter in, in the world, subjective or objective, can be quantified in this way with time. Yeah. How much time am I interfering with where I want to be? Time is the hardest element. It just is. It's really hard because we live in the present. Yeah. So if I'm feeling lousy today, for whatever reason... The idea that I'm going to not feel lousy tomorrow or a year from today just doesn't resonate because I'm in the moment right now. If you're trying to quit smoking, it's hard. Yeah. I smoked cigarettes in high school and chewing tobacco, playing baseball. Me too. Quitting was tough. In that moment, you first quit, it's what uh, the law of rel relativity. Yeah. Right? A minute can feel like an hour and an hour can feel like a minute depending on what you're doing. 
And so when you're trying and you're killing yourself for success, and we take this back to a little bit of business, that time element, I mean, I still struggle with it. Like even today, I catch myself going, I'm trying to build my personal brand right now, right? I made a conscious effort in 2023 that the Jeff Fenster brand needs to grow because I do have lessons to share. I have value to give. I've been a mentee of so many incredible humans and have learned so many things that I've applied to be successful professionally that just like the philanthropic side of you and all my other mentors that have helped me get there, I owe it to pay it forward. I owe it to help inspire the next generation as I age to through it. And that whole process, I look at the results the same and I'm back to the same Jeff who came to you in 2000, you know, back when in Orange County and said, how do I get there faster? How do I do it? And then I have to remember, and you said it, inspire two people this year. And when you quantify it as a, such an obtainable goal, two people, I can do that. Now you just kept, you just helped me go back to my own core values of Kaizen, right? And go back to that same lesson. Yeah, there, there is emotion, energy, emotion. And I talked about the three characteristic of energy, aggregation, compounding, and acceleration. And what we create resistance to what we attach our emotion to, the outcome. And once we are able either to lower an outcome where it's so attainable, like putting on your running shoes, you know, I, I, on the Kaizen method for me, I started with today, I'm going to put my running shoe and I've lost 47 pounds utilizing this over the years. But my favorite is now because I'm so consistent with it is I love the philosophy of the first, first five minutes suck (laughs) of, of all behaviors you don't feel like doing first five minutes suck of all behaviors you don't feel like doing. Why is that important? Because any morning it can be, and I, I spend a minimum of an hour a day on my health and I wake up at 4 a.m., meditate for 20 minutes and then go to exercise, which includes balance, stretching, cardio, strength. Four components that I vary in how many minutes, but it's a total minimum of an hour a day. But you can imagine sometimes at 4.30 after coming back from Dubai and Mexico City, 36 hours each, that first day saying to yourself, I don't want to do this. Not at 4.30, I'll do it later in the day. That's probably usually my mindset. I'll, I'll get it done. It's a non-negotiable, but it's not going to be 4.30. You know what I tell myself? First five minutes suck. Yep. And then I tell myself, if after five minutes on this jog, climber, rower, Peloton, whatever I'm going to do, because I start with cardio, <laughs> after the first minute, if I don't want to do it anymore, I'm going to go right down what time I am going to restart and go back to sleep. Zero. I've never gone back to sleep and I've never worked out and said, oh, I wish I didn't do that. You'll never regret it. Right. You'll never regret it. I mean, that it's And that's every any behavior you don't want to do, tell yourself the first five minutes suck and you can quit after five minutes. And I mean, that's the kind of advice that we all need. That's the kind of lessons we all need to learn and master, which is it's so easy to do things when you want to. It's so easy to work hard on the days that you feel like it and life's working. Getting paid a lot. Correct. Exciting people are coming mm-hmm. in. It's so easy. It's so easy. And I get asked, Jeff, I always talk about core values. It's one of my keynotes. I, I'm so big on it now. And why, why, why? Because you know what core values and, and having a success formula does? It tells you what to do on the days you don't want to. Yeah. When you're going to quit. It helps you when it's your darkest hour. We all want to worry about, oh, it's so when I'm feeling good and I got money and I got clients, business is great. But if we're walking into a recession which we possibly are, or we're walking into another financial crisis that we had in 08, what you have as far as that formula, that core value, that thing to lean on professionally is going to guide you through it so we don't make the catastrophic mistakes. We don't fall off track. And that's 
That's why I like your five minutes is that the first five minutes are going to suck anyway. If you take that same advice and I take that same advice, we're going to work out every day. And if you're not working out and taking care of your body, you can't be the best version of yourself because it is the total human. I I see a lot of successful business people that are completely out of shape and unhealthy. Yeah. And that's a shame. Because they put their family first and activity, they get paid for a second. And once you do that, and I was a victim of this as well in the mindset, heart set, and handset that I have today, is the minute you put your family first, you're most likely never going to want to work out because you're always going to have the option of being with your family. Or if you put making money for your family before your health, you're always going to want to make money. And so it's only at the most convenient times when you really feel like it, like you're in Bora Bora with nothing else to do and it's 72 and sunny out and they have, you know, a great facility and they've offered you a trainer. I'll work out today. But if you put your health first, knowing that if you're healthy, you get as many wishes, as many dreams that you want by being healthy. And if you're unhealthy, you only get one wish and one dream a day. You'll start realizing wait a second, if I really care about my family and I really care about the activity I get paid for, and I do, then I'm going to take care of myself first and I'm going to be really good father, husband, friend, family member, and even a better productive, accessible, and gracious money earner. So in that same vein, what do you think, what do you believe holds most entrepreneurs back from achieving their dreams? Ego. No doubt about it. So fear of the past, fear of the future. There's only two fears that I help entrepreneurs identify if i can help you identify okay i'm afraid of the past usually manifests itself in regret and guilt or i'm afraid of the future anxiety and worry and then apply and learn which ego-based consciousnesses are applying so let me list them off that i've learned by practicing for 17 years because a lot of them were ones that you're going to recognize in my care in my personality that aren't uh, prevalent anymore, only for minutes and moments, not days, weeks, months, and years, yep. which you've experienced. Uh, you'll, you'll giggle when I tell you them. Need to be right. Mm-hmm. Need to be offended. Mm-hmm. Need to be separate, inferior, and superior. Need to be anxious, frustrated, angry, worried, guilty, and resentful, just to name a few. And a lot of those needs of the ego, which are applied to the fear of the past or fear of the future, defining moments, setbacks, failures, and mistakes in my past, or worry about not being worthy, wealthy, happy in the future, creating resistance, interference between me and the omniscient, all-powerful, knowing, unified, abundant, infinite system of thought that you and I belong to, an empowered being species that allows us to be protected and promoted by the defining moments, setbacks, failures, and mistakes. Literally, this practice that I teach people, instead of resisting it, going over and under it, through it, around it, lying to it, manipulating, cheating it, or denying it, which I did a lot, instead of trying to fight it, analyze it, logic it, I now, when I identify fear in my life, fear of the past, fear of the future, and can apply what ego is being applied, instead of doing any of that, I just stop. Breathe through my nose, out through my mouth. I stop remind and remember and recollect that that source, what is it I want today? Who can I help? Who can help me? How best can I get that done? And then I have that magical thing that you're so good at and I'm good at, prioritize. I am great at prioritizing my now and my next because I know what's important to me, those core values. I know whether it's activity that's planned or activity not planned or even my sleep, activity I get paid for, activity I don't get paid for, 
I'm always prioritizing my now and my next, which makes me more productive, more accessible, and more gracious. Makes me more efficient, effective, and statistically successful. One thing I've learned about the confirmation of pursuit, which is prioritization, is it's also the antidote to feeling overwhelmed or procrastinating. If you know how to prioritize, if you know what to do now, you'll never procrastinate. If you know what to do next, you'll never feel overwhelmed when you know what to do now and next because, the, see, in me, it's a confirmation prioritization, number one, that you're abundant, meaning you you can't have more than enough to do unless you live in the world of more than enough. So anyone that feels overwhelmed, you should say thank you. I have more than enough to do. <laughs> My bigger issue is can someone help me prioritize what's important to me in a trajectory of where I think I want to be, giving meaning to what I've learned from the past instead of giving it fear? Yes. And if I can do that, instead of searching for my why, I'm applying it. I mean, I absolutely love that. And your command of the English language is incredible. <laughs> it's practice. It is because you can you can rattle off so many great adjectives really quickly. With alliteration too, right? <laughs> yes. A lot of P's in there. Yes. <laughs> I had to take me I had to I had to process a lot of them. A lot but, of people have to go back and watch my shit because but there's a lot to, to handle. But what you said, I mean, if I may yeah, please. attempt to simplify it just for my own please, edification. Please for your audience especially. Yes. What you're saying is all those times that we feel overwhelmed because we have so many things in front of us, that if we just take them in and be grateful that we have all those opportunities cuz if you make the choice, and I play this game with myself all the time, which would I rather? Yeah. It's the simple game. It works very well for me. And I say, okay, I can go left, I can go right. Which would I rather? And I always play out which is the worst of the two. Because would I rather have nothing to do or be overwhelmed and stressed? I can assure you 100% of the time I'd rather be overwhelmed. You so, have to be stressed, though. And Now, next, <laughs> how do I not be stressed? Prioritize. Yeah. And I overwhelm my team a lot because, like you, I am a high active. I'm always focusing on putting so I don't believe in luck I think that luck is created through the abundance of activity and the more rods I put in the water I'm just gonna catch fish because the fish have no other food but my bait to eat and so I do that with my team a lot where I'm like hey by the way we're just launched a new company or we just launched a new division or now we have this project and they go we're we're overwhelmed we don't have the resources but to your point it's about priorities and how we prioritize what is important and we'll get there and I would rather, and I think I can speak for you as well, I would rather fall because I tried to run too fast than sit still because I'm waiting for the right opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all about pursuing my potential and how quickly I can run. And you're, you're nailing it with why those core values are so important in so many people. It's the mindset, the heart set, and the hand set to utilize that and create the coincidences, the consequences, the karma mm -hmm. of your life, which is attention and intention of you know doing saying thinking believing and feeling something um and utilizing the core values in order to accommodate the overwhelmed abundance that you're blessed with my entire execution model of my business is based off of what you just stated and so the execution model is that there's more than enough options opportunities and touches of favor yep and you, I love the fact that you play the either or game, which is better because my whole premise in life, people are like, how can you believe, David, in something bigger than you that loves you more than your mom? You can't prove that. You're damn right I can't prove it. Right? There's no way I could prove it, but I know this, that I can't think of a better thing to believe in. Sure. Like alternate, this is all I get. Yep. <laughs> which would you rather? Right. Would you rather be isolated or would you rather be loved? Right. Like it's like past lives or future lives. Like people who believe in, I believe in reincarnation of some sort, right? And people say, how do you believe that? That's so stupid. I'm like, well, I have a choice. 
I, I get 111 years here or I get 111 million lifetimes. Uh, I can't prove either one. I'm going with 111 million <laughs> lifetimes. It's the exact same framework, man. Yeah. It's so important though. Like why would you choose starving when you could choose being full? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. And it keeps people feeling lousy. Oh, and they put limitations. Here's one of my favorites that is a new epiphany, meaning of the past. I tell people all the time, not only do you have to do, say, think, believe, and feel in the trajectory of what you think you want in the future, but double check the meaning you're giving the past, defining moments, inflection points, snapshots, mm-hmm. mistakes, failures, setbacks, and even historical relevances. You and I are Jewish. Do you know how people limit themselves because of the Holocaust? Or become a victim because of the I Holocaust? I have a lady, when I, I spoke at the Global Summit for Sports in France, she limited herself because of the French-American War. I asked her why she wasn't doing business in America. There's so much opportunity with her expertise in esports in America. And she said, well, you know, the French-American War. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what? like, let's just create shit to limit ourselves. Mm-hmm. And meaning of the past is absolutely a creation to say, you know, I can't do this because of something that happened in the past. It's Are the need you to be kidding? offended. Yeah, exactly. So there's one Davism, and I call them Davisms in my head. I like them. I'm going to go back in past. I haven't heard you talk about this in a very long time. I don't know if you still do, and maybe I just missed it, or you've moved on and yeah. re-quantified re- it. This is but, good. But... It moves me. It's what I follow today. It's how I am so active and get so much done. It's the 64-hour day. Power 64. Do you still talk about still it? Still talk about it. Still send the exercise out to people. Can you it's share evolved. It? Can you explain it? Yeah. And so it, it came from graduating law school and having a realization that they had hired me too early. You're supposed to have four years of legal experience. I was hired into this internet division with four other people, with three other people. I was four. But all the other guys were over 50 making millions selling books. And so I started to think about, okay, I'm not as skilled as these guys that have been here forever. I don't have the knowledge that they have, but I do have desire. Yep. Right. And I know my skills and my knowledge are my basement, and my basement's much lower than them, but my desire determines my delta. And so I said, let me look at this mathematically. Those guys are working at best eight hours a day. Well, I don't have a family. I don't have any kids. I don't own a house. <laughs> I'm going to go 16 hours a day, right? 16 hours a day, productive. Yep. And then I said to myself, I'm going to focus in on being more efficient than them. And so I looked at everything in my life I did every hour, every day, every week, and every month. And I created systems to even brushing my teeth, right? I timed, I remember putting, right, a calculator with a timer on it because watches didn't have them as variable and there was no phones. But I put this next and I said, on average for a week, how much time do I spend brushing my teeth, flossing, and I always take Listerine? Well, what happened was, I don't know if this happens to you, I would brush my teeth and forget if I, because I didn't have a system, so or I would daydream yeah. because it was earlier in the morning. So it was six minutes on average. I said, if I can cut that down to two minutes... By focusing in on always starting here, going this way, going here, and finishing up here. Same thing with the floss, and then squig the Listerine and start the shower while I was in there. If I could do that in two minutes instead of six, it'd be 28 minutes a week, two hours a month, 24 hours a year. I'd pick up three full days of productivity by brushing my teeth. That's right. So I started looking at all that, and so what happened was 16 hours times twice as efficient became 32 hours. Then the most valuable was this idea of consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential, statistical success, sales, 
I was going to be twice as successful. So out of 10 sales, if I was getting one, I was going to get two yep. by practicing. By being the best. and Yeah, being the best. So 32 hours of productivity became 64 hours of productivity. I got eight days of productivity every day. And then I did it seven days a week, which became 56 days. Days in one week. So when everyone else was getting five, eight-hour days, I was getting 60, 56 full so when I made a million dollars nine months out of law school and got all the awards and everything, my comp plan was 250. I had a million dollars. They're like, oh my God, you're amazing. You blew out the comp plan. And to reward me, they cut my comp plan, which I learned another great lesson. But more importantly, I was giggling. And they're like, what's so funny? I said, well, I really didn't beat the comp plan. It's, it took me 11 years. <laughs> Your normal rep would it'd be 11 years before they could make the million. So I wasn't as good as they were, but I beat them with hours, efficiency, and statistical success. Now, I'm going to give the tip of the day on sales under the rule of power of 64. I do a sales training for the biggest companies in the world now, and it's called callback training. Okay. <clears throat> under the context of the power of 64, think about this. We never had the size, scope, and scale of the audience that we have. You can ask in person, on the phone, via email, and social and traditional media. That's a lot of ass that you can get. So instead of in the old days with my roll of quarters, <laughs> I, calling from a yellow pages, I was limited to how many ass. But because of this, see, the majority of the people don't get back to you. If you DM them, they don't get back to you. If you email them, they don't get back to you. If you call them, they don't get back to you. And in person, they don't get back to you. So what if you double the amount of people that get back to you and you keep everything else the same? You'll double the amount of sales. What if you quadruple it? So I started the very basics. I don't even want to make you a better salesperson. All I want to do is teach you how to get people to get back to you because there's so many people to ask and I can double, triple, quadruple, or even 10 times sales forces by teaching people how to get back to them. That is such an incredible lesson. It's one I've used. I used it at ADP. I've used it to be a successful salesperson. So for anyone listening, like that is something that you really need to master. I wish we could keep going. Um, I'm going to have to have you back on for a second yeah, episode because we can just I'll wrap you all day. Too. But thank you, Dave, for all of this time. It's been such a pleasure to have you, uh, you know, come on the Jeff Fenster Show and share your wisdom, your knowledge, your lessons, and just to hang out with my brother. It's been too long. I have three, three things I'll tell you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I always got your back. Thank you, brother. <laughs>